Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful spring day. Thank you. Thank you for all of your love and, and guidance. Thank you for your precious manna from heaven, the Word of God, the, the spiritual food that we are here to receive, Lord. And I pray that uh, everyone receives it into good plowed ground and they allow the seed of this word to take root and bear fruit in their lives all those that are here and all those that will hear this message uh, today and in the future in other forms of media and everywhere they are god bless you in jesus name amen well next week is resurrection sunday easter sunday looking forward to that and of course uh we're blessed to, to have him and to know him every day. Amen. Amen. But uh, anytime the world will stop and and celebrate the Lord in, in any way, uh, we'll take it. We'll use it for the good. Amen. Amen. <laughs> this uh, a little girl dressed in her Sunday best, was running as fast as she could, trying not to be late for Bible class. As she ran, she prayed, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. While she was running and praying, she tripped on a curb and fell, getting her clothes dirty and tearing her dress. She got up, brushed herself off, and started running again. And as she ran... She once again began to pray, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late, but please don't shove me either. (laughs) That one kind of does remind me of our five-year-old granddaughter, Harper. (laughs) Tavana had me laughing so hard this morning because Tavana doesn't like shoes and... um, She kicks them off first chance she gets, right? And so Harper has learned the same thing from her nanny, and she just doesn't wear them. And so she came to the house the other day with Tavana, and she didn't even bring any shoes. And next thing you know, Papa wanted to go take the dog for a walk, which is about a mile down to the pool and back, and uh, she wasn't going to be allowed to go without shoes. So we we found a pair of flip-flops that Tavana had bought a while back, uh, she bought several of these little kids flip-flops and this child has been growing like a weed. Her legs are long now and her feet, you know, have grown a little bit too. And so the flip-flop covered about half her foot. And so Tavana's like, you're not wearing those. And so she's like, yes, Nani, they fit, they fit. And oh my gosh, it was hilarious. So we're walking and she's, she's tripping every three or four feet and, so it was awesome though, but she's like, no, Donnie, I got this. And so she walked a quarter of the way. Tavana carried her the other half, and I carried her the other half. So, <laughs> but we had a great time, didn't we? <laughs> All right, well, thank Miss Norma for that again. She's going to have to send me some more because I've run out. Tell her. All right. <laughs> well, praise God. You know, I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking this morning as Miss Cheryl was giving her praise report about that that job, and you know, I told her because uh, we we've been praying about this, and she's been sharing with me, and so I'm thankful that people don't ask only ask to get healed and stuff, but and then especially when they come back and give you the praise report, that's. Uh, that's always great. But when she did, I was like, I'm trying to get excited, but I already saw it. <laughs> you know. But praise God. He is good and faithful. And he is the God of second chances, you know. Yes, and uh, I want to talk about that a little bit today, actually. So um, I just want to remind you of a scripture. And you're going to, because it's, it's culminating, it's coming to a head, as it were, Luke 9.51 that I've been talking about for several weeks and actually for several years. Uh, uh, Tavana was with me the first time I ministered on Luke 9.51. I think I was at a, a church in Dallas. We went up there and I 
and I preached on uh, Jesus resolve, you know, as the, Luke 9.51 says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that, that made such an impact on my life. And I thought that, you know, he being our perfect example, Christians need to have that same resolve. We have to have that same mindset, make up our minds to do the will of God for our lives no matter what. And don't let anything that we see or anything that comes in our path um, hinder that. And uh, because we know that Jesus didn't let anything hinder him. And it's a good thing that he didn't. Amen. Psalm, and I, 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 so I just want to, I want to take it a little further today as we're bringing it home, okay? Because I've been challenging everyone to, to take a look at their own resolve, huh? Yeah? Regarding their Christian walk, their Christian life and faith. And I want to tell you, uh, because we like, how did Jesus do that? You know? And I want to, I want to tell you what he was saying in his mind, because I know from Scripture, because he read the same Scriptures about himself and learned a lot about himself through the Scriptures. Yes, he did. And in Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. He read that. And he believed it. Huh? Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. So he was saying, I am going to do my Father's will. And he will perfect that which concerneth me. The English Standard Version that I use often says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Amen. Hmm? Yes. What was Jesus' purpose? I mean, it might seem a little rhetorical in a church setting, but I think it's worth talking about don't you i can tell you plainly because why because the word of god is where i get my truth the word of god is where i form my opinions the, if i have an opinion that disagrees with the word of god i change my opinion i don't care if it affects me or anything in my life. I don't care if I've built my life around a lie. If I once I learn the truth. Even how if it's very difficult. And you have to dynamite that thing out of your life. I still tell God that's what I want. Your will and not my will. As for me and my household. We shall serve the Lord. John, first John, the epistle, the first epistle of John, verse 3, 8, I can tell you plainly what Jesus' purpose was because it tells us in the Word. First John 3, 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that what it says? So that's what he came for. And John 10.10, 10, which is a scripture that I quote probably almost weekly, if not once or twice weekly. <clears throat> the thief, Jesus said, the thief, talking about Satan, talking about the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So the devil is a thief, a murderer, and a destroyer of God's children's lives. Huh? And Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. Good God, bad devil, huh? Yes. And so he was a thief, a murderer, a destroyer, and not only that, but a liar. Because Jesus said that too in John eight forty four, as he was talking to some of the Jews who had believed on him. Right after it said that he had believed on him, he goes on to say this. You're of your father, the devil. <laughs> and your will is to do your father's desires. For he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. In other words, he speaks his own native tongue. Because <laughs> that's all he does is lie to us. 
For he is a liar and is the father of lies. So the Christian or the the believer or the disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be aware of two distinct individuals in their spiritual life. One to embrace, the other to reject. Jesus, the life giver. Satan, the life taker. Huh? Jesus came to destroy Satan's power over us. And to do it, he had to become like us because God is a just God and he holds himself accountable to his own word. Hmm? Everything God says becomes a legal binding contract. And he holds himself. It's not like today's world where a contract is just made to make more lawyers money to show you how to get out of it. You can't do that with God and he won't even allow himself to do it. That's why it's so amazing what the determinate counsel of God, you know who's on that board? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. That's so amazing what they have done on your behalf. Oh, it's so amazing. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children, us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, talking about Jesus, likewise took part of the same. So he, he also became flesh and blood. Because we were flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy him that had power over death. That is the devil. The fear of death, folks, is the ultimate form of slavery. Hmm? It causes people to do things they wouldn't normally do. In all its various forms. Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death. It's going to start coming together, the fact that I've been talking about the eternal perspective that we need to have. And how God is trying to wean us from this world. Amen? Because this is not our home. We're only here as, as recruiters, so to speak. We're only here as ambassadors for God. God, we have a wonderful home with Jesus forever and all eternity. Huh? We're only here for a flicker. He became, he had to become like us. Still totally divine, yet also completely human. This is so important that the believer understands this. One of the favorite names he called himself by when he was alive in this world, I mean, in the physical form, was the Son of Man. You know how he referred to himself as Son of Man all the time? I think he got a kick out of that. Because he knew he was God. But he laid all that aside for a time to become totally like us. You know, when, when Jesus was a kid, I told you, it wasn't like supernatural baby Jesus running around. <laughs> Why did they treat him different when he came back to Jerusalem? After he had been baptized in the Jordan River in water and with the Holy Ghost. Because they treated him different because he was different. Now he was anointed and appointed and he was ready to get to work. He had to become like us so that he could be qualified to be our kinsman redeemer. You hear me say that term? I throw it around loosely all the time and I hear my own messages and I'm like, I don't know if they know. That's not a common term. You hear it sometimes in church settings, but it's not a really familiar term. And some of us, you know, we don't really read the Old Testament like like maybe we should. I do, but I have to admit, some of it's not as fun. But the more you... The more you grow in it, the more you glean from it. It comes to life more. So keep doing it. It'll pay dividends. Amen? Amen. But the kinsman redeemer is an Old Testament term. 
In the Hebrew, it literally uh, is it's goel. The word goel, it means redeemer or reclaimant. And God is referred to himself uh, as goel in the Old Testament at least 20 times as our redeemer. Here's the definition. Redeemer, reclaimant, especially a next of kin upon whom, according to ancient Hebrew custom, devolved certain family rights and duties, including the avenging of a murdered kin's blood and the redemption of the person or property of a relative in debt or helpless circumstances. One duty of the Goel was to redeem or purchase back a relative who had been sold into slavery. So to speak clearly, or as a great example of what God would expect a kinsman redeemer to do, would be to avenge the death of a kinsman. If you killed, you killed my brother, when I find you, I'm supposed to kill you. Uh-huh. Okay, now listen, this is Old Testament stuff, folks, so don't, we don't do an eye for an eye anymore, okay? <laughs> but I want you, everything's in type and shadow in the Old Covenant pointing to Jesus, remember. So I want you to understand this because it's going to be very powerful to you. So avenge the death of a kinsman or buy back the property of the kinsman and marry his widow to raise up descendants so that the family line and inheritance would not be cut off. The best example of this in Scripture is the book of Ruth. I don't know how many of you are familiar, but it's a a wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, it's in the Old Testament. And it comes, uh, it's right right before the, uh, right before the prophets, right before Samuel. Uh, You'll find it's a very short book, so... If you would turn over there, you can put you put there and then put your ribbon in uh, John chapter 18 and you should be fine for today. Praise God. (laughs) So the book of Ruth, (laughs) um, just to give you a little background on it, uh, uh, Naomi was uh, a wife of Elimelech. Uh, she she moved uh, she moved away. Uh, they they were Jews. They moved away into Moab, and they had two. Uh, you know, he they had two sons. Uh, Elimelech died, and the two sons took wives from Moab. Okay, and uh, and then the two sons died. Okay, so it's very tragic. In that sense, and uh, so uh, Naomi decides she needs to to go back home, huh? And 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 uh, one of the she tells the girls to stay there and go live their lives. They're still young, you know, and uh, and one of them does, but Ruth does not. And you, you, there's a famous passage of scripture in the 16th verse of the first chapter it says but Ruth said do not urge me to leave she's telling Naomi or to return from following you for where you go I will go and where you stay I will stay where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay they've made a song out of it and it's, it's beautiful where you go I'll go and where you stay I'll stay your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God where you die I will die and there will I be buried may the Lord do me so uh, me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. So it's a really beautiful thing, a beautiful commitment that Ruth made to um, to Naomi. And so they they went back and they went to Bethlehem, which is where where uh, she was from. And uh, and uh, and then this starts. So she. This is where we're going to be introduced to a kinsman redeemer. This is where Ruth meets Boaz who is a relative of uh, Naomi's deceased husband and uh, as such would be a kinsman redeemer. And, uh, and uh, Boaz is actually the, do- the son of Rahab, the former harlot, who is also in the line and the lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, and you, I'll just 
without, I'll get into this too deep if I'm not careful. So I just want to quickly, in, in chapter 3 of Ruth, I'll start at the 6th verse, now that you have a little bit of a... So they have a kinsman redeemer there. They are basically penniless there without anything, um, because there's some things that have to take place when a man dies, even with his property and inheritance and all that. So these women are just sort of hanging in limbo right now, okay? And uh, so in the sixth verse of the third chapter, so she, uh, talking about Ruth, uh, as she'd been instructed by Naomi, because she had been gleaning uh, from the fields the leftovers that people had left, and Boaz had noticed her, and he had told them to left, leave handfuls on purpose for her. You might have heard ministries talk about that. Anyway, he was kind. And, and uh, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. And all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So this took place, and then he went on to do what he had said. So go down to, uh, and she went and she told Naomi, and, and, and she said, I don't know what's going on. She told her what happened. She goes, don't worry, he's not going to rest until he handles this. And so you take it up in the fourth chapter, the first verse. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down. This is the gate of the city where all the the, the men of the, the, the city, the well-renowned um, men uh, met uh, down there. And, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, is one of his relatives, folks, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he said, ten... He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. These are witnesses. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and, and say, Buy it in the presence of these those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Okay, so immediately greed, you know, greed steps in. But check this out. Then Boaz said, okay, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. So he was going to suffer loss, or he might have some trouble with uh, his own wife at home. You know, no, no telling what. He wasn't willing, and he wasn't able. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So we know that Boaz went ahead and did what he said he would do. And Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. That's the 13th verse. This is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ and the church, folks. We see Ruth, the Moabitess widow, and she was cut off from her inheritance, right? And then we see Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, come to her rescue. But, there was one other person who had the first chance to be the Redeemer, wasn't there? He wouldn't or couldn't redeem her. So Boaz did. 
Right? This is all type and shadow. That's why I'm going slow like this. It's of Jesus and, and of you, true believers of, of the church. Amen? So how did Jesus then fit into this? How did Jesus fulfill his responsibility as kinsman redeemer? Well, first of all, Jesus went against the murderer, Satan, and put an end to his power over us. Hmm? He avenged our death. Huh? And two, he took the church to himself as his bride, just as Boaz married Ruth. And so he restored to us our lost inheritance. Come on, folks. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. We talk about this a little bit. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, and so that you may belong to another. He's talking about type and shadow. He's talking about a marriage. But in spiritual terms, huh? He said, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code, which was the law. Huh? So we were, in a sense, married to the law, the law of sin and death, right? Because the power of sin is in what? The law. Jesus put an end to that, nailing it to the cross, didn't he? So it freed us up to be united to another, legally, in God's eyes. You see what I'm saying? Our kinsman redeemer is the one that we've been united to. But, just like in the story of Ruth, another had first legal right to us. Who was it? Just as Ruth and Boaz, our old carnal nature, our flesh, our free will, had an option to redeem us. But our flesh was unwilling because it's a rebel and unable to help us. So just like Ruth, we had to turn to our heavenly Boaz, which, by the way, means in him is strength. So he had the power. He was willing. And so Christ took us to himself as his bride. Now, through our inheritance, our our inheritance is through him is restored to us. And we bring forth fruit pleasing to God. That's the reason. It's not all about us. It's to glorify God. Amen? Amen. We had no power. We weren't even willing. Our flesh had no power to do what was necessary. That's why we were stuck on four. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Creation into which sin entered. Killing us spiritually. Giving up our inheritance. We were stuck on four until redemption came. Our kinsman redeemer. The grace of God. And gave us back our inheritance. And gave us back our lives. Praise God. The the Father and the Holy Spirit brought Jesus all the way over the finish line, folks. With Jesus' help. His free will was in play too. So that's why I say the whole counsel of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. And they obtained the victory. And I want to tell you today that God always desires and is always willing and able to accomplish everything that He has for you and for your life. Amen? Amen. And it's good. 
God is all good. The devil is all bad. Huh? But at the same time, we need to understand that God doesn't use His sovereignty to control every detail of a believer's life, does He? Otherwise, He'd be interfering with that free will and He'd be breaking His own law. He doesn't want a family of robots. He wants people who chose Him for Him. It's the goodness of God that brings repentance. Remember that when you're trying to guilt everybody into changing. Whenever a believer walks in pride, which in all its multi-layered facets, (laughs) whenever we walk in rebellion, whenever we walk in unbelief, all sin, it opens the doors for the devil. And it can hinder the efforts of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. To lead and to guide us and to reveal to us the things that he so desperately wants us to know and to be and to do. Hmm? So, isn't it good to know (coughs) those parties? Know that one is a murderer, a liar, a destroyer, a thief. That's all he is. No matter how he paints it, the Bible tells us he comes as an angel of light. In other words, he doesn't come saying, listen, I'm the bad guy. And this is going to cost you more than you can pay. I'm going to take you further than you want to go, charge you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. You want to go? He just doesn't do that. But the other one is all good, all the time. He is love. He is the way, the truth, the life. Amen. And no one comes to the Father but by through, by through Him. Amen? Amen. Jesus is our example. When Jesus walked in, in great victory, He worked, walked in power. He walked in love. He walked in peace. It doesn't mean that He didn't have problems in this life, did it? Because he had a lot of problems. He was literally the only one ever born to die, you know. Right. <laughs> Dan? I might still have two or three shirts that say that or something. I don't know. But Jesus was literally born to die. His purpose was to die. And he knew it. Just think of yourself. I've said this before. Just think of yourself at 30 years old, which is considered the prime of your life. Some people say in heaven we're all going to be 30. I don't know. It's a pretty good age. Nobody has a problem with 30. I mean, you're... you're <laughs> and, but just think of yourself at 30 years old and how effective you would have been as a minister, ministering the love of God to people who rejected you and were soon to kill you. And you knew it. Because you knew how it all ended. And you still only operated in love. He never turned away a single person. He healed every person that ever came to him for it. Haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Who was anointed with power and the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Because God was with him. Acts 10.38 Jesus was sensitive to God. He didn't live by sight. He lived by faith, which is what we're called to do. He trusted that God would perfect those things which concerned him. And because of that trust, he lived a life of faith. And he lived a life of faith in trusting in God, trusting in the Word of God, what it said about him. And that's what we're called to do. Everything about Jesus is our our model. Everything. Everything. I mean, all the way up to and including death on a cross. But thankfully, you know, we're not all called to that. But but if you were, it would actually be an honor. And and I mean, unless you have an eternal perspective, you'll never wrap your mind around that and call it good, huh? But it's our objective to serve God in this way, to trust God in this way, to find out what He says about us and what He wants for us. And as we look into the, the life 
and ministry of Jesus, his journey to the cross, we're, we're growing and, and strengthening our relationship with him. And on the way, we're finding out more about who we really are because of him and, and the work that he accomplished on our behalf. <clears throat> Today is the day that many refer to as Palm Sunday. And uh, about 500 years prior to to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied the event that we now some refer to as Palm Sunday. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. This is Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He prophesied perfectly of how that was going to go down. And that's what happened as Jesus entered into the city. When the prophecy was fulfilled in every particular. And the people were familiar with that. And so they, they lined up on the streets. And they were cutting the palm branches and throwing down in front of them. And putting their cloaks in the road. And letting, as he came in. And they were shouting for him. They were ready for him to take over. Huh? Unfortunately... They were looking for, this celebration wasn't going to last for long. They were looking for a Messiah who would be a, a political and military savior. But Jesus had come to save them spiritually. The thing that they needed most. Our, all of mankind's primary need is a spiritual need. It's not political. It's not cultural. It's not military. All those things have their place. These people, like I ministered last week or the week before, they had just become carnal. Which just means natural. Carnal isn't always sinful. It just means that they just their awareness was all natural. They were all carnal. They were sort of like the people of today. The they wanted what they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted it. And it had nothing to do with spiritual things. It was all about... Their idea, their mindset of what he was supposed to be. And they didn't let his teachings over three and a half years or the word of God that they did have access to interfere with what they wanted to believe. And that's where we've come to in our society today. That's why God needs his end times church to stand up for the truth when nobody else will. In love. And you have to find out. You have to pray and seek God and find out what that looks like. What it really looks like and what it really means is spending time with the Lord in the Word and in, in your quiet time with Him, talking to Him and getting to know Him so well that you have hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because a word in season is perfect. That same word at the wrong time is imperfect. Huh? How do we know the difference? God will give you opportunities. He'll give you windows and doors of opportunity when and what to say. Other times he will tell you just don't say anything. But a lot more Christians are just on that latter side where just don't say anything if there's any... Fear that anyone might oppose you. And that's not God, folks. These people, the Lord just was telling me all week. That I've, been, I've been trying to do better things for my body, right? Do the things we know to do. And I've been drinking green tea. And, uh, and I, God bless you. And I know, I, I read somewhere years ago when I used to drink it all the time, that if you just put it in the hot water and let it sit, it's good. But if you put it, if you, if you steep it in the, in the hot water, it's much better. You know, if you dip it like that, it works a lot better. You get more of the flavonoids or whatever they call the good thing. And if you squeeze it, it really increases it even like a hundredfold. Anyway, but steeping, steeping. And the Lord kept telling me that word steeping. Every time I drank the tea, this week. And I looked it up. Because he reminded me this morning. He said you never did look up that word. 
and so I looked it up sitting over there and I wrote it down. It says, if someone, if, if someone is steeped in a quality or characteristic, they are surrounded by it as, and as deeply influenced by it. These people were steeped in religion. These people were steeped in false doctrine. These people were steeped in the world. Huh? And they had waxed cold. You know, just like that string. In the wax, let it cool. In the wax, let it cool till you get the candle. And it just builds up that hard candy shell, you know. <laughs> I was thinking of the candy I went to get to Vana this morning. I was going to give her a surprise. I have her little, she likes those mini eggs, little chocolate ones. And a while back, I bought two bags a couple, a few weeks ago. I bought two bags of them, and when I got home, I was being feeling happy, and I just gave her one that night, right? Because she loves them. She's like, ooh, you know. <laughs> and I think she must have seen me hide the other one. And I was going <laughs> to... Because I was happy again today because the Lord worked everything out and she was off and able to come with me today. So I was going to give her that other bag. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> We've been so happy. We've been laughing and talking. And, um, but I was going to give her that other bag and it it was gone. <laughs> I said, did you happen to find another bag of... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, well, I made up my mind. I'll give it to her. I'll get some more, you know. She says, they were going to get old. I said, I said, you think you get fresh chocolates every time in the bag? You just, just made them the day before. I said, they last a, a few weeks, you know. Well, I thought they might get old. <laughs> Listen, those same people that were shouting on Palm Sunday, calling him Messiah and King Jesus and wanting him to take over and take the throne and do all these wonderful things, just a week later, they were some of the same ones shouting crucify. Blown with every wind and doctrine. Mm-hmm. Go to John chapter 18. Oh, I have my ribbon there. Told you all to do that and I did it myself. John chapter 18. This is uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal. He had... Uh, he had just uh, spent the night. They had the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. They enjoyed that Passover meal. And uh, he shared so much of his heart with his disciples. I just love to get into all those chapters from chapter 14 where he gave them a special personal gift of his own, didn't he? He explained to them all about the Father and the Holy Spirit and the fact he had to leave and go. And it's like he wanted to give them something very personal of his own. A gift. In John fourteen twenty seven, he says, Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's our part. If we'll keep our hearts from trouble and fear, He'll keep us in perfect peace as we keep our minds stayed on Him. And this is a gift. This is a promise. It's the kind of peace that takes a nap in the back of the boat in a hurricane. (laughs) And when they finally wake you up about it, you just tell the hurricane to shut up. And it does. Amen. Shalom. One word is all he said. Peace, be still. And it was. And they were like... Because they had just accused him of not caring about them. Wow. He puts up with a lot out of us, doesn't he? 
But then they got up from the upper room and they went out of town, across the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives and that's where Judas had arranged to have him to betray him. Came with a bunch of Roman guards and with weapons and some of the officials, the guards from the, the Jews as well, from the temple. And then Judas betrayed him with the kiss and old Peter stands up and pulls out a sword and slices one of the guy's ear off. And Jesus tells him to stop, picks it up, puts it back on the guy. How cool is that? They're there to kill you. Hold on. Let, let, me, let me fix this fellow first. Then they went and arrested him. First of all, they're looking for him. He says, who are you looking for? And he knew the answer, of course. And they told him who. And he said, I am him. And when he said, I am, they fell back. The anointing right there, huh? They arrested him. He allowed it to happen. He put him through a series of mock trials through the night, sent him back and forth from the Jews to the Romans and they made a big mockery out of it until the morning and then they came and that's when that's when they they had him before Pilate after the sun had come up and they wanted him to crucify him and Pilate found nothing in him, no guilt. He knew he was innocent. His wife had even told him, Leave this man alone. I've had terrible dreams because of him. He knew he was innocent. He even told them he found no fault in him. And then he acted like he could just wash his hands of it because what they wanted, he can't. Anyway, this is the time when he would release one person from prison during this Passover uh, for the Jews as a gesture of goodwill between the Roman occupiers and the Jews. And he, he wanted to release Jesus. They wouldn't have him. So he stood another criminal up there next to Jesus named Barabbas who was a, a thief and a rebellion leader, an insurrectionist, huh? sort of like the devil, sort of like you and I were. And they said, give us Barabbas. Give us the world. Give us Satan over God. And so they took him away. I'll just start in the 16th verse of the 19th chapter. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Very prophetic, I might add. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He wrote it in all languages, in three languages. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. (laughs) When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which said, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all, and knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Again, to fulfill prophecy, no bones would be broken. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph uh, Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, remember John 3.3, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. So because the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Well, we're going to leave it there today. And when we meet again... We're going to be talking about the event that took place next, which is the greatest event in human history. We're going to be rejoicing regarding the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the meaning of the empty tomb, and the priceless meaning of the atoning sacrifice of our beautiful Lord and Savior on our behalf. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you today. You know He loves you. I love you too. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and for your precious word. And thank you that you have become our kinsman redeemer. Thank you for everything that that means to us. And thank you that we are loved and blessed and accepted in the beloved. That you have written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And we all promise to meet each other in heaven at your table, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.